Hi folks, welcome to an episode of Movies and a Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. Keith here, and as always I'm joined by Ben, Dave, and Brad. What's up? Today we're going to talk about two new movies, one that opened this week and one that will be coming wide next week. First up is The Haunting in Venice, the third installment in Kenneth Branagh's movies where he plays the legendary detective Hercule Poirot. And after that, it looked at the indie horror movie It Lives Inside, which I got a sneak peek of earlier this month. So jumping in, Brad, tell us, what is The Haunting of Venice all about? Uh, summer is always, courtesy of IMDb. In post-World War II Venice, Poirot, now retired and living in his own exile, reluctantly attends a seance. But when one of the guests is murdered, it's up to the former detective to once again uncover the killer. I went to see The Haunting of Venice more out of love for Hercule Poirot than for the movie itself, but still came away most satisfied. For any Poirot newbies, the fictional Belgian detective is probably British mystery writer maestro Agatha Christie's greatest creation, appearing in 33 of her novels, two plays, and 51 short stories. Since then, he's become a pop culture icon, made most famous in my book at least, by David Suchet in his 14 years playing in for British TV and PBS. And of course, he's caught the eye and fascination of Kenneth Branagh, who's now directed and starred in three Hercule Poirot movies, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, and now A Haunting in Venice. First was a box office smash. The second, eh, less so. We'll hear from Brad later in the episode about how *A Haunting of Venice* fared this week. This new Poirot movie is loosely, and really as loosely as you can get, based on the Agatha Christie novel *A Halloween Party*. That work about a precocious teen who says she witnessed a murder, and Poirot susses things out. Branagh has taken things here in a much bigger, broader direction with mostly good results. In the movie, Poirot is invited to a séance where an opera singer is trying to reach her daughter, who died mysteriously after a long illness. He's invited to debunk or approve this event by an author friend, Ariadne Oliver, played by Tina Fey. As with any great Agatha Christie mystery, the scene is full of possible suspects, starting with our host, the opera singer Rowena Drake, played by Kelly Riley, the medium, played by the always great Michelle Yeoh, Poirot's bodyguard, the family doctor, his son, and more you'll have to watch the movie to discover. And that was only one of three people at my 11 a.m. showing, there are plenty of reasons to see this one if you're a Poirot fan. First up, instead of the CGI mess of death on the Nile, it makes beautiful use of Venice, and Branagh has a real eye for it. The grand but decaying house by the canal also makes a perfect setting for this striving-to-be-eerie tale. And I'll always be a Suchet fan first, Branagh has really dobbed into the role of Poirot here, and he's great playing detective in his retirement in Venice, and burdened with all he's done in his life. From there, the performances are hit and miss. Tina Fey is totally out of place as a stand-in for Christie, I suppose, but worst of all, Jamie Dornan as a doctor just looks confused to be there the entire time. Yo is great as usual, but for reasons I certainly won't go into here, we don't get nearly enough of her. The best cast member here is Camille Cotin of Call My Agent fame, who gives the movie what heart it has as the housekeeper in this house of a few horrors. This being Poirot's story, of course, there's more going on in this seance, with at least one more murder to come. The mystery story here is solid from writer Michael Green, who at least deserves credit for having the nerve to turn Christie's work into something entirely new. It's when it delves into horror, heavy-handedly adding in a heap of ghosts to haunt mostly Poirot, that it falls apart. Never particularly scary, it does at least add to the overall mood of this one, but it doesn't add much more than that. I like this wizened approach to Perot, and if Green had picked one lane to be in rather than trying to horror and mystery, he and Branagh would have been more successful for sure. I also like my Poirot with a good dose of wit, as Christie did too. For that, try the Suchet works, or for something really fun, see how they run, which turned Moose Mousetrap on its ear with better results than a haunting in Venice. So my verdict, this is worth seeing for Poirot fans for sure. For me, it's a worthy addition to the canon, but far from the best Poirot you can get. For what they delivered here, I will give it two and a half stars, leaning but not quite getting toward three. You've seen all three, so 
is Murder on the Orient Express the best one? I mean, does it go one, two, three as orders? I would put actually this one the best. Despite my qualms, I really liked the overall eeriness of it. I I, I wish they could have done better with the horror, but this is a better Poirot. Murder on the Orient Express had a slightly better story, but overall, the production, this I put this number one. Run of the Express number two, Death on the Nile, a distant three. I only saw that one, um, you know, after it was streaming. Partly, you know, I just don't want anything to do with Army Hammer, but the movie just looked like a disaster, and it was. It wasn't just wasn't very good. Do um, you think you like this one better than, say, Murder on the Orient Express? Because everyone's seen Murder on the Orient Express. There are some people have expectations how the story's going to go. And you said this one's a little bit more loosely based on an Agatha Christie story. Yeah, in fact, I'm. I don't. I don't want to, you know, claim that I knew the story. I did. I did before I go in. I. I was. I was never wiki the movie, but I did wiki the source material. And like I said, all it is is, is he goes to a party where there's a teen girl who predicts there's a, there's a murder. And in some, and always in Agatha Christie movies, there's a bunch of suspects, and he, he figures out who did it. Great setup. This one is totally different. So I think that's part of the reason I appreciate it. I appreciate the effort they put in the story. And overall, it is, despite some of my acting concerns, it is a solid um, Agatha Christie movie. You gave it a two and a half. So, Brad, you got some ratings for us? Uh, I do have some uh, Rotten Tomatoes, critics and audience. Keith, what you thinking? I think the critics were mostly with me. I will go, in fact, higher than me. I will go 80. Fans, you know, I don't think that I, I think a lot of people were disappointed with the lack of with the lack of overall horror. I will go 65. Mm-hmm. Critics 78 percent, 182 mm-hmm. reviews. Audience 68 percent, 50 plus reviews. Critics consensus, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes, a darker and spookier spin on Brahma's Perot. A haunting in Venice is a decent Halloween snack whose undemanding mystery gets a lift from nifty visuals and an all-star cast. I guess we're going to hold off on the box office till we talk about the second mm-hmm. movie. Yep. So, Keith, what do you got? Well, moving right along, right along Brad, can you tell us what is, what is uh, It Lives Inside all about? All right. Summer is always, courtesy of IMDb. An Indian-American teenager struggling with her cultural identity has a falling out with her former best friend, and in the process, unwittingly releases a demonic entity that grows stronger by feeding on her loneliness. I adore indie horror, so when this one popped up as the most recent mystery movie at our Regal Theater, it was a nice surprise. So far I've been to two of these, and oddly enough, they've both been in the indie horror lane. First up, the Aussie Wonder Talk to Me, which will end up high on my top ten list of the year for sure. And now this one, the debut from director Bishal Dutta. Perhaps Regal has a contract with indie horror producers, since Talk to Me is from A24, and this one's from Neon, which is becoming a powerhouse in its own right. And it lives inside, Dutta takes the familiar horror tripe of possession and adds to it a big dose of Hindu mythology and teen angst to make for a volatile mix. What could possibly go wrong, right? In it, Indian-American teenager Samita, played with perfect grit by Megan Suri of Never Have I Ever fame, has a falling out with her best friend as she struggles to fit in at high school. Her friend Tamira, played by Mohana Krishnani, has grown into a warm over an outcast, disheveled and carrying around a mysterious jar wherever she goes. This being a horror movie, what's in the jar is what we have to worry about. And once it's broken, accidentally by Samita is when it really begins. Dutton is aided here by several things that really set this movie apart. First up is the story of Sam, as she's known, and her family gives the movie a real heart as it adds to the familiar framework of teen horror with the real struggle fitting in with traditional Indian family and the world around her. This gives it much more heft than your average horror movie, which I truly appreciated. And Suri and Krishnani have a natural chemistry, even as they're emotionally and physically apart giving us plenty of reasons to cheer for them. And secondly, and here's where it all could have gone off the rails, it includes Hindu mythology and its monster, which feeds on those who have removed themselves from the world. This all sounds incredibly goofy, but it really drives the story here, and supporting players 
Niru Bajwa as Sam's mom, and Betty Gabriel as a teacher are great as they're drawn into the fight. Gabriel in particular is becoming a fan favorite in horror circles after appearing in Get Out and many other horror movies. Along with the immigrant experience adding layers to this admittedly familiar storyline, Dada shows he can deliver the chills too, teasing us with the true nature of this beastie as the tension mounts throughout. It's definitely not perfect, and I found myself wincing at a few points, but it's a very promising debut. Having seen it right before Bottoms, this was definitely a different approach to teen movies, focusing much more on family life than the horror of high school. In fact, we rarely glimpse the school at all, except early on in a great scene with Gabriel near the big finish. After a long run on the festival circuit, this one opens wide on August 22nd, and though I don't expect it to be the sensation that Talk To Me has become, it's well worth checking out for indie horror fans. For its emotional additions to its teen horror approach, I'll give It Lives Inside three stars and say give it a chance if you like indie horror. Now you said August 22nd, you meant September 22nd? I'll do that one again. No, that's fine. No, that's, <laughs> we, just, we just corrected it. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. So it's September 22nd. Yes, sorry. You know, I got thrown off because we should, they saw this one in advance, and you know, but if you... I will say, you know, Talk to, Talk to Me has played for a long time. I think it still, last week, was playing at the like 9, 9 p.m. slot. There's no way It Lives in High Side will last that long. It will go two or three weeks. This is truly for horror fans, but if you like horror, go see it. Okay. All right, so you got that Rotten Tomatoes, Brad? I do, and I'll just preface this by saying this, and I think Keith kind of explained mm-hmm. it. Since this was like a preview of it, mm-hmm. uh, I did, could not find an audience score. Plus, there are no consensus of either kind. So, it's just critics. So, Keith, Rotten Tomatoes, what's your thoughts mm, on the critics for? You know, this movie, even for an indie horror, I, I gave it a good rating because I liked it, but also because it's its solid debut. But I will go 68%. 68%. Critics, 83%. This is mm-hmm. on 24 reviews. So, it's uh, probably early in the, uh, the process. Mm-hmm. So, those numbers may go up and down depending, but critics kind of liked it. And okay, so we don't have a consensus, and we don't have a box office because technically it's not wide yet. Or not do we have some money? Not on that one, but I do have the box office for a Haunting in Venice. Okay, and we're recording this a little early, so they did not have an update. So I don't have a top five. I have a top two. A Haunting in Venice is in the top two. It finished narrowly in second behind None Two. Wow. Uh, None 2 finished in first with $14.7 million. A Haunting in Venice finished in second with $14.5 million. Okay. So it's uh, not exactly a stunning debut. But, no. You know. but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it got close. So, and we're uh, recording this like 12 o'clock on Sunday. So I, like the Sunday box office could really decide who might be number one yeah. overall. So that's the. The Sunday AM, as Deadline says it. Okay. So. Well, I looked at um, the overall box office, and I think the first one did like 362 million US. Mm. We had a Johnny Depp. The Gun store. Everybody. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm looking at a Haunting Events. Oh. So I apologize. First Poirot movie did 362 Murder on, Murder on the Orient yeah. Yeah. million. The second one was right about 150. That was Death on the Nile, so they're declining. Um, I just have a feeling this one is going to finish below 100, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to put it in context, right, the last two have come out post-COVID, and just the movie the movie landscape is a lot different now. I was looking at the Saturday numbers, trying to find Sunday numbers, and actually A Haunting in Venice was in first, so by, uh, in Saturday, uh, on Saturday's numbers. So it's so. neck and neck, so it really, yeah. could, it really could change by Monday morning yeah. when they finally total the weekend, yeah. so... And the horror has a built-in audience, so the nun, the number's going to be there. Yeah. Oh. I think we said all we need to say, so we should just go ahead and wrap this episode up. So, Keith, you got the plugs? Oh, sure. You can get us at moviesandmealog at gmail.com, moviesandmeal on Twitter. 
And do give us a listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, all right. So for this episode of Movies in the Meal, I'm Ben. Keith, Brad, peace.